You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. So far today, every single one of us has breathed approximately 9,400 times. Have you been aware of this? Most of us, it's probably been completely unconscious that we've even taken a single breath. And the, the air is, is necessary for all of life, but, but most living things are unconscious of it, including ourselves, right? The way that God has wired our bodies to work um, is, is he created our brains such that they automatically send signals to our lungs to expand and contract with, without us ever having to think about it. Most of these 9,400 breaths we've taken today, um, unless you've got insomnia, were probably taken while you were asleep. Your body just did it. We, we live in, in the constant and continual presence and dependence upon something of which we we're barely even aware. That's around us and flowing into and out of us all the time. And we've been in a series called Empowered in which we're talking about the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And talking about the Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm coming to realize Talking about the Holy Spirit is a lot like talking about the air. Everywhere yet invisible. Like only able to be felt in some way. Only able to be measured by its effects on other physical matter that we can see or hear or something. Absolutely essential to life, yet often escaping our awareness. All of which kind of causes me to wonder, how many times today have we already been sustained and helped by the Holy Spirit, even if we were completely unconscious of it? How many times? Now, this is why, this is why most language about the Spirit of God is poetic. It involves a lot of metaphor. It, it's nearly impossible to talk about anything spiritual without some kind of metaphor. So the Jews, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, right? The, the Jews, when searching for a word to talk about the spirit of God, when he would come upon a person or in a place, they chose to use the word for wind or the word for breath, right? They already had this word and that's what they grabbed to describe God's spirit showing up. And maybe like, what better word is there? I don't know. This is why Jesus in the New Testament, when he's talking to Nicodemus about needing to be born again, if you remember that, or if you've seen the wonderful scene in The Chosen, it's a fabulous scene. When talking to Nicodemus about needing to be born again of the spirit, he says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You want me to use the other mic? All right. Check. There we go. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So today, this sermon is called Come Holy Spirit. Now, as a vineyard church, uh, if you've been around for a while, you know this. If, you, if this is your first Sunday here, you should just, this is maybe helpful to know. We don't have a whole lot of liturgy. We don't have a whole lot of things that we just say on a regular basis. But if we have any liturgy at all, this prayer is it. 
pretty much any vineyard church in the world that you show up at today, someone is going to pray, come Holy Spirit, right? Or they get kicked out of the vineyard. That's the way it works. Uh, But it wasn't always this way. Uh, When the Vineyard Church, a little history lesson for you, when the Vineyard Church in Yorba Linda, California, uh, led by John Wimber, it was only two years old, um, a young man had begun attending named Lonnie Frisbee. And if you've seen uh, the recent movie that came out, then you're familiar with his character, um, Jesus Revolution. So you may be familiar with his name, but Lonnie was a young ex-drug addict, hippie turned evangelist. It's about as simple as I can put it. Uh, he was, who was hugely instrumental in the Jesus People movement and in then later in the growth of Calvary Chapel and then after that in the growth of the vineyard, which we are a part of. And so Lonnie and John Wimber, the pastor of the vineyard, they had casually known each other and known of each other. Um, but after Lonnie began attending John's fledgling church, they, they began to build a closer relationship more intentionally. Um, now, but John, had, he had refrained from asking Lonnie to, to be involved in any ministry in a public sort of way uh, because he knew that Lonnie's ministry style, to put it simply, was rather controversial. <laughs> things would happen. Things would get kind of out of control. So John was like, let's, let's take this slow. We don't really need to do that. But then on the morning of Mother's Day, 1980, this was 43 years ago last Sunday, Mother's Day, 1980, John's leaving church and he felt like the Lord told him to invite Lonnie to speak that evening, which John was like, no, Lord, this is a terrible idea. And he wrestled with it all afternoon. And so finally he, he, he contacted Lonnie and Lonnie said, sure, of course. So, so Lonnie comes uh, and hundreds of people show up. Uh, Lonnie's talk was wonderful. During the talk, John was realizing, what was I afraid of? This is so great. You know, everything this young man is saying is wonderful and inspiring until the end, until that very end of his talk, when Lonnie said that the church had been offending the Holy Spirit for a long time. And so he was going to invite him to come and minister. And then Lonnie just prayed, come Holy Spirit. And then I don't have time for the rest of the story. Let me just say, it was remarkable. It was like a giant boulder being thrown into the center of a pond, and we are still experiencing the ripple effects of it today. You and I would probably not be in the same room together this morning had Lonnie Frisbee not walked into that church that evening and prayed, come Holy Spirit. Now, if you're interested to know more in the program notes, you can pull that up later or now if you get bored and there's, there's a video of John Wimber talking about this morning and, and him telling the story of what happened on that Mother's Day. It's absolutely worth watching. Now, Lonnie didn't make up that prayer. This is interesting. John went home that night and all night long, he's scouring the Bible. He's saying, where is this prayer, Holy Spirit? It's not in the book, you know? And it's not explicitly that way. It's not in the book. Um, Now, no one knows really where Lonnie got this prayer or where he learned it, but we do know it has a long history in the liturgy of the church, specifically in the Roman Catholic church. Um, Every day when I leave, come and go from my office, I see this little ceramic tile that says, Veni Sancte Spiritus. In Latin, come Holy Spirit. Sometimes, as, and I put it right by my light switch. Sometimes even as I come in or leave, I touch the tile real quick too. Even it's just, it's a constant reminder to me to pray, 
Come, Holy Spirit. I actually bought this at the Vatican in Rome, so it's probably blessed. So if you want to touch it, you are invited. If it helps you, let it help you. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. And there's a number of prayers. If you research this, there's a number of prayers within the Catholic liturgy that begin with these words. The most notable is one called the Golden Sequence. It originates from about the 13th century or so. And next Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, in every mass around the world, they will pray this prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. It has a long history, a rich history of Christians praying this, even still through today. Now, what exactly are we asking for when we pray these three simple words? Today, I, I want to pose you just a really simple suggestion. A lot could be said about this. But what I want to say today is that come Holy Spirit is a prayer for intimacy and advocacy. It's a prayer for intimacy and advocacy. And our text for today is John 14. If you've got Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to that. Um, it'll be on the screen as well. Um, but before we read the scriptures, would you guys pray with me? Right? We, if we're going to talk about praying, come Holy Spirit, we ought to do that. And maybe especially before we turn our attention to reading the Bible. So come Holy Spirit into our minds, into our hearts, into our whole bodies, that even as we read your scriptures today, would you cause them to come alive to us in new and powerful and revelatory and transforming ways? We don't want to just know more about you, Jesus. We want to become more like you. So come, Holy Spirit, and reform us into the image of Christ. Pray today that you would let us hear you. May your voice be louder than my own. We bless you. Amen. So John 14, to his disciples, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus promises that the Father will send the disciples his very spirit. It therefore makes sense to me that the disciples might, in response to that promise, invite the Holy Spirit to come, right? And so we do, we have, and we will do it some more together this morning. But when we do, we're asking for these two things. The first of which is come Holy Spirit is asking for intimacy. We're asking for intimacy. Uh, in the context here, if you read this, this section of John, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. And they're, they're sort of understanding it. He's, I'm going to leave you. I'm going away. But someone else is going to come. 
And it's a highly relational passage. Even, even this short section of verses that we read, note the relational language. If you love me. He says, but you know him, the Holy Spirit, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am in my father, you are in me, I am in you. The one who loves me will be loved by my father. I too will love them and show myself to them. It's so highly relational. There is no theoretical knowledge that Jesus is talking about here. It's, it's intimate understanding. And Jesus here, note the presence of Trinity language that he's using, right? Jesus is saying there exists himself, the son, the father, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. This, this divine relationship, a holy intimacy. I think one of, my, one, of my, one of the most helpful ways to me of thinking about the Trinity is this. It's a holy intimacy, a divine relationship. God himself is a relationship. But Jesus takes this divine relationship even further by adding his disciples into the equation, by adding you and me into the equation. This is how the math of Jesus works. The Father plus the Son plus the Spirit plus us equals one. This is why if it seems confusing that he says things like, I am in the Father and the Father is me and I am in you, right? If that doesn't make sense, this is why. It doesn't spatially make sense, but there's such intimacy that he's like, you can't separate us. So over and above anything else, before we get any farther, we got to understand that this prayer, come Holy Spirit, is asking for this to be experientially true. That we know this. That we experience this. It's a request to just simply be present to and with God. And, and you guys know this, right? any healthy relationship requires presence. If you've been married for any length of time, especially you know that that, that relational intimacy requires presence. Many of you I know um, have spouses that are in the military and you can testify to how immensely challenging deployment is to that when you don't have proximity, when you can't just be with the person. And this is true with our friends. This is true with our kids. This is true with our church family just to be present and with one another. So this is where we always begin and end in our relationship with God and with this prayer, Holy Spirit, presence, being with, not doing for God, not asking for God to do something for us, just being with him. And you guys understand this, that what you get out of a relationship is what you put into it. The better relationship you have someone, the more you benefit from it. The more you have proximity and time and listening and you're open to vulnerability and there's trust and there's patience and there's presence, the more you get out of the relationship. And so it is with God's spirit. So, so just let the spirit live in you. Let him be within you. Draw near to him, spend time with him. Let yourself be vulnerable. Learn to trust him, learn to be patient with him. 
If you just try this, you'll get what all the fuss is about, right? Not because you know the Holy Spirit in some abstract way, in some theoretical way, but because you're coming to know him in a personal and intimate way. Now, I think this is a good point to pause and ask a question, which may very well be on some of your minds, which is, okay, so is the Holy Spirit then absent until we invoke his presence in a prayer like this? That's kind of how it can seem. If we say, come Holy Spirit, is that because he is somewhere else? I would say not exactly, and for two reasons. One, this is to quote a guy, a philosopher and theologian named James K.A. Smith in his book, Thinking in Tongues, which hands down, I think is my favorite book title of all time. He is a, he is a Pentecostal philosopher. But he says that the spirit is always already present at and in creation. So let this sink in a little bit. The Holy Spirit is always already present at and in creation. And the way Smith uses creation is not just, we tend to think creation and we think birds and trees and dogs and baby goats and bees and whatever. He means all of creation, including human beings, including human culture and human technology and everything. The spirit is always already present. Which again is one more thing that can be said of the air. Air is always already present and active everywhere. Smith goes on to say that, that the Spirit's present is it's not a visiting of a creation that is otherwise without God. Rather, the Spirit is always already dynamically active in the cosmos, world, nature. God does not have to enter nature as a visitor and alien. God is already present in the world. The creation is primed for the Spirit's action. He's always already here. So when we pray, come Holy Spirit, we're not inviting the Spirit to enter a room that, that he was previously in another room. Like in this sense, our language falls short, right? The verb, the verb come is kind of inadequate, and maybe there's a better one, but this is the one that has served Christians for hundreds and hundreds of years, so I'm gonna stick with it. But what this does, it communicates our sudden awareness of his presence can often feel like a sudden arrival. When we suddenly clue in, oh, he's here. It feels like a sudden arrival. We use the term like inbreaking sometimes. The other reason why it's not exactly true that we're inviting the spirit to come is because this prayer does something different. Prayer sometimes changes circumstances, but it always changes us. And what's happening is that this prayer come Holy Spirit awakens us to this already present person of the Holy Spirit. It just wakes us up. Like, like the air, he's already around us, within us, flowing through us, sustaining us. And in asking, we're simply drawing our attention to this reality. It's like, it's like stepping outside in order to feel the breeze. You can see it if you're inside, but it's a different thing to step outside to feel it. It's, it's like drawing your attention to your own breath in a moment of mindfulness. It 
still the same breathing. Nothing really changes about the air. Something changes in our awareness. Nothing changes about the Holy Spirit. Something changes about our awareness of him. So come Holy Spirit is asking for intimacy and come Holy Spirit is asking for advocacy. And I picked this word very specifically this morning. Come Holy Spirit is asking for advocacy. The the word that Jesus uses for the word is parakletos. Have you guys heard this word before? It's actually, it's become so popular. um, It's similar to other words that are Greek that we sort of have anglicized. And in the church culture, at least we kind of know of them, right? Like Like the word agape. Right? If you've been in church for a while, you might be familiar with the word agape as the unconditional love of God, right? Or koinonia, right? If you guys, you guys know this one, right? Communion, the sharing of life together, partnership with other believers together. Uh, we've also begun just using this word paraclete. You can actually find it in any English dictionary. Although the interesting thing is that most English translations of the Bible never use it. They opt for another word because they're trying to to unpack what does this word mean? And let me just tell you, if you come across a word in the Bible, if you read through different versions of the Bible and they use different words, spend time paying attention to that word. It's because it's so rich that there is no one-to-one English equivalent. It's there's nuances there that our language just fails to capture. So it's worth camping out on it a little bit. Um, It's translated advocate, In the NIV, this is what we read this morning. And again, I picked this translation just because I wanted to camp out on the word advocate. Um, The ESV renders it as helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper. The Revised Standard uses the word counselor. He is our counselor. While the King James says comforter. The Spirit is the one who brings us comfort. So which one is it, Roger? Yes. Yes. The Spirit of God comes to help you, to bring you comfort, to counsel you, to be your advocate, and to get you out of whatever hell you happen to be in right now. Speaking of hell, I would like to invite you to my small group this summer. It's, it's going to be more fun than it sounds, I swear. We'll have snacks. Now, for we are, we're reading a, we're reading a book uh, by Brad Jersak called And Her Gates Will Never Be Shut, which is about um, hell, hope, and the, the new Jerusalem. So if you're interested in robust discussions and, and reading a book about hell during the sweltering Georgia heat, just sounds like a good fit. If you're interested in your mind kind of being blown about what the Bible says and doesn't say about hell and our ultimate hope, I invite you, come join us. But whatever single word we use, it describes someone who is summoned or called to come alongside someone else who is in need. Especially like, like called to someone's aid, right? Not just walk alongside me, but walk alongside me here because I need aid. Um, it's quite often a legal term. It's quite often a legal term. It's one who pleads another's cause before a judge. And if you think about it, some of these words also apply to that, right? We talk about advocacy in the legal realm. Sometimes we have like, we use that word counselor, right? The judge would be like, counselor, would you like to do whatever legal thing you're supposed to do, you know? 
And they say, yes, that's as far as my legalese goes. Now, I don't know, I don't know if any of you have ever been to court, but if you have, then you understand the need for an advocate. Now, now I've never been in court as a defendant, except for, except for one traffic violation that was my fault. And, and another traffic violation that was Angela's fault, but the officer accidentally wrote down my name as being the driver. So I had to show up to court and explain. And the, the, the judge was really angry. And then the bailiff like came and brought over a piece of paper and the officer had written a note that said she didn't know that she had been speeding. And he got really mad and threw out the case and we got off. <laughs> Doesn't always work that way. Oftentimes, that's not the way it works. You need an advocate. There was a young man in our church in North Carolina, I will call him Jeremy, who had, to put it simply, gotten himself into some deep trouble. Um, most, most of his troubles had to do with controlled substances and, and with, with numerous offenses stacked up, one on top of the other. And we first met Jeremy when he had gotten out of prison, like that day or the day before. And he quite literally just stumbled into our church one Sunday. And over time, he became a part of our church family. We, we walked alongside him as he tried to put his life back together, just step by step. And he didn't do this perfectly, of course. Uh, he, he found himself getting into like other forms of trouble here and there, which further complicated other charges that were still hanging over him. It, it, it was one of those situations that was kind of heartbreaking because it often felt like two steps forward, one step back. But while he was growing, while he was maturing, while he was straightening out his life, like things still built up to a point where he was facing sentencing again, like double digits. And his lawyer was not hopeful. And his lawyer I, I came across to me as being just quite honestly fed up with him. <laughs> and his lawyer wasn't hopeful about this, but he finally agreed that maybe a character witness or two might sway the judge in his favor. Um, so Jeremy's parents wrote a letter. His parents actually worked for, his dad at least worked for the Navigators and was a Jesus follower. And they wrote a letter that was read aloud in court. Um, and I showed up to court with him. He said, Roger, my pastor, will you come up and be a character witness for me? Now, I've, I've never been really nervous when it comes to public speaking. Like, this doesn't freak me out a whole lot. But I got to say, being escorted by the bailiff into that little witness box where you're like sitting next to the judge and the court reporter's right here with her fingers ready to like type every single word, I was freaking out. Oh my gosh. It's one of the scariest things I've ever done. But I just began to share. I was just given the floor. And so I simply talked about my relationship with Jeremy. I shared what I knew about his past. I shared what I knew of him in the present. And I shared what I saw ahead for him in the future. I talked about how our church believed in joining God in the renewal of all things and how Jeremy's life was a visible example that such things are possible. So I just preached the gospel. And to our surprise, the judge listened. He reduced his sentence to no jail time at all. I was Jeremy's 
paraclete. I, I helped him with something that was beyond his ability. I counseled him as a pastor on how to follow Jesus. And even in that situation, how to make better decisions and how to talk to the judge and not talk to the judge. I comfort him. I comforted him by my presence with him in the courtroom. I advocated for his cause before the judge. I was his paraclete. Now, I, I, of course, I was not thinking of it in those terms at the time. I, I mean, like, I was just doing what I thought was like good and right to do for someone. And of course, I am in no way claiming that I am the Holy Spirit. I was not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was really the one coming alongside Jeremy as his helper, as his counselor, as his comforter, as his advocate. And, and to, to echo Jesus' words to Nicodemus, I, I was just merely a leaf on a tree being blown by the breeze of God's Spirit. Everyone needs an advocate. Everyone needs an advocate. At some point, in some situation, life is such that, that we will all hit our limits of time and resources and patience and power. When, when what we're facing cannot possibly be faced alone. When what we need is more than a friend who's just gonna console us, but rather we need an ally who will fight for us when we have no fight left in ourselves. We need someone who will stick up for us when we can barely lift ourselves out of bed in the morning. But we're proud people though, aren't we? We're very proud people. We're all hardworking and resilient and successful, self-made, self-reliant. We're like, we're the helpers. We're not, we're not the ones needing help. We're the supporters. We're not the ones that need the support. We're the saviors who come in and save the day. We're, we're not the sufferers. Like, at least that's the story we tell ourselves. Can I get an amen from anybody who tells themselves that story? Hands up too. Yeah. It's who we are. We're proud people. That's the story that we tell ourselves, but it's fiction. The truly spiritual person, the fully whole person lives in the world of nonfiction where humility and dependence and prayers like come Holy Spirit are honorable survival strategies. So does anyone here need some help today? Does anybody need a comforter today? Does anyone need a counselor today? Does anyone need an advocate today? Ogletrees, we're with you too. If you haven't heard, this week we unfortunately lost dear friend Mark Ogletree. And gosh, man, I think I've prayed come Holy Spirit more times this week than I have in like the last month or two. And that's not me trying to look like a good pastor because I look like a bad pastor. That's just me like, that's my humanity. Come Holy Spirit. We need you. The Ogletree family needs you. So 9,900. 
We're up to, we're up to about 9,900 breaths so far together today. And how many times again has the spirit been with us? Even in this time together, like has the spirit come alongside us? Has he already been helping and counseling and comforting us? Have we already sensed his intimate presence with us? I think we have. By the end of the day, we'll all be up to somewhere at or over 22,000 breaths. How many opportunities to encounter and call upon the spirit of God do we have today? Church, keep on breathing. Keep on breathing. Keep on awakening yourself to the always already present spirit of God. Would you guys stand with me? And worship team, you guys can come on up too as we do this. I'm gonna ask you guys to pray with me as we close the sermon, as we head into a time of longer worship together. Um, this is Veni Sancte Spiritus. This is the prayer that I mentioned earlier that I'd like to close with today. This is a literal translation, FYI. This is not, um, the, the original Latin is very poetic. And so um, a lot of the versions that are actually used in the mass and in liturgies are, are attempting to retain some poetry. I, I think even just the literal translation of these words is incredibly powerful and poetic for me. So pray with me. Come Holy Spirit and send out from heaven the ray of your light. Come, Father of the poor. Come, giver of gifts. Come, light of hearts. Greatest comforter, sweet guest of the soul, sweet consolation. In labor, rest. In heat, coolness. In tears, silence. O oh, most blessed light, Fill the inmost heart of your faithful. Without your divine will, there is nothing in man, nothing that is harmless. Cleanse what is unclean, water what is parched, heal what is wounded, bend what is inflexible, warm what is chilled, correct what has gone astray. Give to your faithful who trust in you, the sevenfold gift. Give virtue's reward, give salvation's end, give joy eternal. Amen.